0: Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple. Well, it's been about a month since the Wisconsin basketball team season came to an end to the eventual national champion Baylor Bears in the NCAA tournament second round. Uh, I know some people have been wondering when this podcast was coming. Uh, I've had an incessant amount of text about it from a certain person, and uh, I'm here to tell you that this is the final episode of The Swing for the 2020-2021 season. Jesse, thank you very much for joining.
1: Happy to be here, and there sure is a lot to get to that's happened in the last month.
0: There is, and uh, you know, obviously I think we should probably start with the actual news news, and that would be Actually, a couple of different things. I guess three different things this uh, here in these last couple of days. Uh, but we'll start with the most recent one, and that is the uh, commitment of Jacoby Neath, the transfer point guard from Wake Forest. He Obviously, the transfer portal has been a busy, busy bee. I believe there's over 1,400 names in that transfer portal now. And now the NCAA has given the grant, uh, the, the one-time uh, transfer waiver where you're able to go anywhere for one time and not have to sit out. I'm sure that is going to stay busy for quite some time, but Wisconsin finally—I uh, shouldn't say it "was" finally. They also got Isaac Lindsay, and we'll talk about him in a little bit as well. But Jacoby Neath certainly fills a need. And you had an opportunity to chat with his uh, high school coach. What is Wisconsin getting in that six-three, what one ninety guard?
1: Right. Well, I, that was my first question: is what what type of player is he? What's Wisconsin getting? And he talked about what a great team guy, good leader, has a lot of confidence. But he described him as a player who was very overwhelming to opposing teams in terms of his physicality and athleticism. And he is, he's 6'3, 200 pounds. His high school coach says he has a 40 inch vertical. And I think that's one of the things that's going to stand out. Now in high school, he played both point guard and shooting guard. They ran a two guard front. So he can do either of those. Um, certainly when you look at how Wisconsin plays a body like that could probably do some damage in the post too, but uh, he can, what, what this coach said that he does well is he shoots the ball off the dribble behind screens, and I think the last thing we we saw from Dimitri Trice is that was his game too, right? He would he off the ball screens. He was lethal at times. Um, and this is a guy who was one of the best players in Canada at a high school, had a lot of offers, went to wake forest. And his situation is, is probably what has happened a lot at the college level is you come for one coach, that guy gets fired. Another coach comes in and he brings in his own players and has his own system. And Jacoby's playing time decreased last season. But if you look at what he did as a true freshman, I, I think it was pretty impressive. He had some, some very big moments. He scored 16 points against Duke. Duke was a top 10 team at that time. And he started five games and, and played in all 30 games. So this was exactly what Wisconsin needed. It, one of the pieces, at least, when you looked after the who was left when the dust settled They needed to add a guard with experience, and they need a big man, and I know that they'll continue to address that as well. So I think this is a good pickup, and you shouldn't necessarily get hung up on what his stats were. Look, for example, at the Michael Potter situation, right? The numbers weren't fantastic at Ohio State, but he just happened to be the right fit at Wisconsin, and I I think that's what Neith is going to bring to the Badgers in the backcourt.
0: Well, that was what I was going to ask about in terms of his 2019 stats versus what we saw this past year, this past season, it dropped pretty dramatically. How would you quantify that? Would you, do you just ignore it? I mean, going from 48 down to what, 22% from three, it's pretty significant. I think it's probably, and I'm sure you'll note this is uh, Wake Forest was off for more than a month due to COVID and they, they went, I think 34 days between playing games at one point. I almost want
1: to equate it to what Wisconsin's football season was this past year. Like <laughs> it, it, take it for what it's worth, but I don't know if that's fully indicative of of what the possibilities are certainly with the football team and, and with Neath as well. And this and high school coach said that the new coach came in and brought his own system and pushed everybody else to side, including Jacoby. That's how he said it. And, and so Jacoby wanted a new start, more stability and a place where he could contribute. So shooting numbers, not ideal, but, Last year was crazy in, in athletics as a whole. And I know from, from talking to his coach, it sounds like Jacoby is just excited to get back to being the player that he was before last season, really. And, and he, he feels like he's going to have that fresh start at Wisconsin. And I think his physicality is going to fit in well just for what you need to do to defend Big Ten guards. That's another thing that he does. And obviously, that's one thing that keeps you on the court at Wisconsin is you got to be able to play on both ends of the court. And I think he's going to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, you'll if you watch his highlight films, you'll see the athleticism. And I think the other thing you'll see is passion. A lot of passion seems uh, coming from him uh, when he finishes inside or gets the dunks or whatever it is. It seems like he plays a lot of passion, and that's kind of what you know. Michael Potter played with as well, and it, it gives you a little something that maybe at least this past year you didn't have a ton of. Like you, you don't you don't see guys playing. They're passionate about the game. You just don't see it outwardly. And I don't want to get into a conversation about body language because that is just ridiculous but we'll see it's a good place to get a new start it seems like you know for wisconsin bringing in a transfer so fresh off of how you know that change of scenery helped mike potter and i'm not saying that jacoby's going to be coming you know and turn into that type of player but always good to get uh, a new start especially uh, at a place like wisconsin when there is going to be opportunities for playing time perhaps maybe not as much playing time as originally maybe some people thought uh brad davison the other news this week brad davison decides and maybe that's and it's not a surprise i don't think for a ton of people but there was a little bit of a question because he took a little time with it the longer it went kind of felt like all right well this is this is pretty much a, a foregone conclusion that he is going to be back but brad davison decides to come back for a fifth year taking advantage of that ncaa waiver that everyone got to to not have this year of eligibility count and for him his his scholarship's not going to count but his presence is significant
1: yeah it is i it's huge obviously for what he'll do on the court but also off the court and the veteran presence he'll provide because if they didn't have him and you start looking at what exactly Wisconsin ha- has coming back it's like Tyler Wall is suddenly the oldest most experienced player in the group and then you've got a bunch of guys who've almost never played other than Johnny Davis. And you got a little bit, you got a glimpse of Stephen Crowell and Ben Carlson way, way early in the season. So yeah, I think it's, it's vital for Wisconsin that they have Brad and he'll be the leading returning scorer and the leading returning, basically everything. So I think it's a good opportunity with a young backcourt in particular for him to be able to guide those and be somebody that can be a leader and, and that other players will, will follow that example.
0: You think there's a little disappointment though at, I- at least, you know, he said he he told Jim Bolzine from Wisconsin State Journal that he called all of his current and future teammates to tell him about it. And they were all pumped. But you think there's some maybe a little bit uh, like, eh, there's some playing time that potentially could have gone my way that's not going to go my way. now. Oh, it's
1: certainly a possibility. You don't earn a scholarship and pick a Big Ten school to sit on the bench or play fewer minutes. Ultimately, I think him being here will make the team better. And you know i'm sure there are fans who are on both sides of the the fence on this one right like there's a veteran guy they could use him and other people are probably just i've seen 4 years of brad and i want to see what all this young talent can do but I, I i do think he'll clearly make the team better and and those young guys if they're good enough they're going to find a way to get on the court because it's not like he can play all three guard spots assuming greg uses three guards and he's certainly going to like usual have some versatility but it's going to be fun to predict, and I'm sure we will, what the lineup could look like at this point, even though we don't know everybody that's going to be on scholarship because they're still pursuing the transfer portal.
0: Is there anything to the idea that Brad coming back, at least in officials' minds, kind of is another knock against Wisconsin? And, you know, just the way that he is officiated and then it potentially hurts Wisconsin? Well, there's no. we've talked about it ad
1: nauseum, obviously, that the reputation precedes him a bit, and now it's swung the other way where, calls go against him when if you watched it and you were neutral about it or you didn't know Brad Davison who he was or his history you'd say that call doesn't make much sense but no i i just there's going to there are going to be some calls that are probably similar to what we saw last year too where he didn't deserve the calls but i don't think it's going to prevent Wisconsin from winning games if they're the better team they should win those games so i i, I it will be interesting to watch and it'll be a big talking point but um, obviously, Brad saw a reason to come back and wasn't deterred by
0: how officials uh, call things on him. You could I mean, I'll be honest from from his point of view, I could see not wanting to have to deal with that anymore, though. Like I, it like but all, I mean, it, he's weighing that against wanting to play college basketball, which is the thing that he has wanted to do his entire life and want didn't really get to have the senior year that he probably wanted. But I have to deal with uh, uh, the officiating but it, and also having to deal with the road and dealing with fans. But I think he might be even looking forward to that after not having to deal with it this past year. Yeah. In terms of the calls, what are we really talking about? It's it's we're talking about Boborowski is what we're talking about. And, yeah, so, uh, so. <laughs> you know, so it can't let him. Yeah. I mean, can't let him affect how you're going to go about your life. But what I'm getting at is it's, it's a handful of
1: calls, right? You can count them on if not one hand, two hands. And this is somebody who's going to play hundreds of minutes. I mean, he played 959 minutes last season. So if you really love the game and you want, this is just the last, the one opportunity that you have to take advantage of this. And I know that Jim has said too, when he's been on our show that perhaps Brad would want to pursue coaching. And this is a, another opportunity to to learn in that regard too. But I, I would have, I, I would have almost been disappointed if any player wouldn't have come back because, Of how uh, of officiating, but no, the fans, I mean, that's not fun, but he's a competitor and he's going to embrace that. So it is what it But is. He's been around long enough to know what the deal is. And I'd rather go through what next season will look like than what last season was like.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Again, I'm not saying he should or he shouldn't. I'm just saying that there are reasons, like, I mean, not having to want to deal with that kind of stuff, but he's not that type of guy. Like, I think there are some people that would not want to go through that. I'm not saying names myself personally, but you know, to each his own. And he obviously is a competitor and wants to have the senior season that he didn't get to have. And uh, he's going to do it with nobody that uh, none of the other seniors. They all, they all have decided to move on. Uh, the, the four, Demetri Trice, Nate Reavers, Aleem Ford, Michael Potter, all deciding to turn uh, pro or at least uh, per, you know, pursue a professional career. Nate Reavers was, there was a little bit of indecision there for uh, a minute. Uh, we all thought that he was going to, Turn professional, and then he went to the transfer portal, and then it turns out, you know, yeah, I'm going pro. Uh, so those those are those four guys. Then Trevor Anderson, there was a thought that him and Brad would would be back at Wisconsin. That's not the case. Uh, Trevor An- entered the transfer portal, ends up at Valparaiso. Any surprise there on your part, or does this this kind of make sense with what Wisconsin has coming in?
1: I have to say I was surprised by that. I wasn't surprised by Walt McGrory going to South Dakota. This is someone who's been in the program for a long time and hadn't played a ton of minutes save for – an opportunity he got a couple years ago, but Trevor obviously wanted a bigger role and you can't blame him for that. I I just thought he would be a key contributor. And I, I have to imagine that you don't make this decision unless you talk with the coaches about how they view your role potentially being, at least that's, that's what I would suspect and what they have is a bunch of young point guards and they're very high on them with, with Lauren Bowman coming back after being away last year for the family situation and Chucky Hepburn. I mean, and now you've got the transfer from Wake Forest. Uh, but at the time, you had Bowman and Hepburn, and I think that's clearly the future at the point guard position for Wisconsin at this stage. So if Trevor wanted a bigger role and didn't feel like he was going to get it here, then he needed to go somewhere where that would happen. But yes, of, of all the people who have shifted roles who aren't with the program since last season, that was the one that surprised me the most. So
0: that's where I'm at on that one. And then just, just to clean up, the the transfer portal, Isaac Lindsay coming in, what, what is Wisconsin getting in him? Well, he's coming
1: in as a preferred walk-on. So, I mean, I I feel like that's an important distinction, not that you can't obviously be a walk-on and become a key contributor or earn a scholarship like with Carter Gilmore, but he was at UNLV. um, I obviously didn't do much there and and is coming here and and he's an in-state kid and was a big time scorer in high school. He averaged 20 and a half points as a junior at mineral point and then missed almost the entire season with an injury a senior year. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he can do as a shooting guard. There's now a lot of guards on the roster, but Wisconsin obviously saw something in him to bring, to bring him in. And I just, I don't know what it'll look like once this whole roster comes together. That's what's most intriguing really.
0: Yeah. And then the one last piece in the transporter, Joe Hedstrom, who uh, exits Wisconsin did, did not, make a huge impact was a guy that I think was like five and four guy mm-hmm. and leaves. Uh, he's in the transport. portal. You had an opportunity to, to chat with him kind of, you know, these, these exit interviews, a lot of them that you did with the football team, this one, I believe the first one that you did with the basketball team, what stood out about that uh, conversation with him? Well, I think it was the stuff that's interesting
1: to me, or at least some of it is how does this go down when you make this decision? Cause this is, the biggest decision of your life when you're 18 is committing to a school. And I assume the next biggest decision is deciding to leave and pick another place. And the conversations that he had with Greg guard, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but I, I could have sworn there was a, a time late in the season when Greg said he didn't anticipate any underclassmen transferring out. Um, but obviously you never know. And so I asked whether Greg was surprised when he brought it to his attention and he said, um, he wouldn't quite say surprised, and they they, they talked through their process and kind of came to an understanding, but it just wasn't a great fit at Wisconsin. He he wasn't going to play a ton of minutes, and even when I asked, like, okay, Nate, Aleem, and Micah are all left. Um, that's a lot of big guys that were taking up minutes. Like, did that change your decision? And he said no, because he – they taught all these guys talk and he, he had a, a pretty good inkling about what guys were going to do. So I think he understood where he stood in this, on this roster and he just wants to go somewhere where he can contribute. And you certainly can't fault him for that, but he praised Joe Krabinoff, who recruited him. That's really a big reason why he came to Wisconsin and Greg Too, who from what Joe said has made it clear that he wants to help Joe find that next school. And he'll, he'll even reach out and say, is there anywhere you want me to call? So I think that's interesting. He doesn't regret coming here because he did pick Wisconsin over Utah and Utah gave him a late offer and it was to come in right away and play. Um, So, you know, you just wish you can find a place where he can play. But I also thought he dropped uh, an interesting nugget when I asked if the transfer portal and guys potentially coming in impacted his decision. And he said, I'd be lying if I, I said the thought didn't cross my mind. And that's part of it. I'm not naive. He said that, there he's heard some names flying around and he doesn't know who Wisconsin will end up getting, but he says, actually, I know one guy, I just can't say who it is. And I said, you're, you're keeping me in suspense, man. And he said, it's the portal COVID year. Anything can happen. You never know, but it sounds as though, um, Wisconsin is knee deep in pursuing some bigs and I'm sure they'll get one soon.
0: So right now there, there is one spot open, right? With the, uh, addition of Neath, there's still a scholarship available. Yeah there's
1: 13 scholarships that you can get and yeah, there's, there's still an open scholarship and they, they desperately need, I think a big man. That's pretty clear. You look at who they have. Um, they've got a lot of forwards. Well, I don't even know if a lot is the right word, but it's like Tyler wall, Ben Carlson, Carter Gilmore, and then Matthew Morris is coming in and, and Chris Hodges can be considered that. And Stephen Crowell's the big man. So it's a lot of inexperience. And if they can bring somebody in, like a Micah Potter type situation, or even Jacoby Neath, a guy who's played major college basketball who can come in and contribute right away. That's the ideal situation for Wisconsin.
0: I would suggest, and we'll get into this a little bit when we when we talk about uh, Stephen Kroll and Ben Carlson, just because those are the those are essentially the two guys up front now that. I don't necessarily think that those, uh, you know, Steven's going to have to have to bang down low, right? Like he's, he's the seven footer. He's going to have to do that. He's going to have to be the Nate Reavers, Micah Potter, but they don't necessarily have that guy behind him that can, that can also do it. I don't know necessarily know if that is Ben Carlson at this point. He's certainly, I mean, he's listed at, I think six, eight or six, nine. I'm not sure he's that tall. So we'll, we'll get into that with those guys. So I think another big would certainly make sense. A guy that when you have to face some of the bigs that are going to be in, the Big Ten next year, you need more than Stephen Crow at this point, and I don't know if you know Chris Hodges or Matthew Moore is going to be that that guy either. So, moving on here, uh, we'll get into those freshmen. Certainly, an exciting class, and there's there's opportunities available for them. But we'll start with the guy that I think um, Brad is, I guess, the leader, right? But this could be Johnny Davis's team in terms of offensive production, right? He has to become the the leading guy on the offensive end we saw his mid-range game we know he can get to the rack obviously has to improve a little bit from the outside but it feels like this is Johnny's time it definitely does whether Brad is there or not
1: and certainly it's less of his team now if that makes sense just because Brad is the veteran guy but yeah he's I mean he's the second leading returning scorer coming back behind Brad he averaged seven points a game he played every game last year and was just that spark off the bench where almost every game you saw these flashes. Then you just went, wow, this guy is going to be an exceptional player here. And he, for a true freshman, I thought he, for the large part was last year, just the, the two way player ability to, to play defense the way he did to slash and score and to hit some of those mid range jumpers. And he's, he definitely has to take a, a huge step forward, be a double digit score as a sophomore. It's asking an awful lot of a player but that's why you stay in state and come to a program like this. And as you start to evaluate who else is, is really there that's going to pick up that scoring slack significantly, it's just a bunch of inexperienced guys, especially in the backcourt, other than Davison and, and Davis. So he's got to be the guy this year.
0: So where do you think he needs to take the step? Is it, is it the outside shooting? Is, I mean, where, where does he have to become better to be able to take and be that guy?
1: even more of a willingness to be a consistent attacker. And I think he did when he came in, but it's going from, he played 24 minutes a game, which is a lot off the bench to 30 something a game next season and being a starter for the first time. So it's not that he didn't have those qualities before, but it's being even more of an alpha dog next season to say, I'm the man now. I know I'm going to be starting. You don't have to look over your shoulder if you make a mistake, because there's not a ton of experience off the bench at least at this stage so i think it's just continuing on the path that he that he had last year and he wasn't you know terrible as an outside shooter he just didn't shoot it a ton but 39 percent for a true freshman is is not bad so i i he's obviously got all the tools i think it's just the natural progression when you become a starter and play more minutes
0: i'll agree i'm you know at the beginning of the year You kind of got, you were a little hesitant when he went up to the, whether he shot it from deep or he shot it from the free throw line. And then he turned out to be a really, really good free throw shooter towards the end of the year. And the more you drive inside, the more you're going to get hit and the more you're going to get to the line. And it feels like uh, if he's going to turn into a guy that's going to hit 75, 80% from the free throw line, you feel a whole ton better about him as an offensive weapon because people are, you know, he's going to drive, he's going to get contact. And if people are going to follow him, he's going to make them pay for it.
1: Yeah. And with the type of player that he is, uh, that's exactly like you said, you're going to, you're going to get more opportunities. And with, with more minutes, I think that's, that's clearly going to come and that's someone that you can rely on in key moments. If you're going to be a 73, 75% free throw shooter, as opposed to like a 55 or 60% free throw shooter.
0: Well, that's what I meant. Like towards the end of the beginning of the year, that's kind of what he was. Uh, and obviously he finished at 72.7, but I, it was better towards the end of the year, either way. The other guy that the other returning guy other than Brad in the starting lineup is Tyler wall. He's kind of a do everything, right? Uh, Obviously a a key guy in the defensive end, but does he have to be more on the offensive end for them this year? And can he be that?
1: Yes. And yes, there's, uh, there's also something to be said for opportunity when, when all these other guys in the front court are gone. Um, But he showed moments of that. Obviously he had, Double digits in some in some pretty big games. He had the 12-point the game in that double overtime win against Indiana, one of the better games of the, the season. He had 14 against Northwestern, 13 against Penn State, and we saw that he had a double-double early in the season against Green Bay when he went for 11 and 15, but it just wasn't consistent to, to have a game against Loyola where you score one point, or, or, or North Carolina even, in the, the first NCAA tournament game where you have one point and four points against Baylor. You just have to be more consistent, but he's, you know, he's one of those players where you know what he's going to bring you defensively, the hustle, the, the small plays in in ways that are similar to Brad. But I think with more opportunity will come more confidence and and just more chances to be able to score it. And so I I do see that expanding for him and he has to become a better shooter (laughs) unless he's just going to score in the post all the time. He wasn't particularly good from the free throw line or from the three point line. He only shot 57% from the free throw line and he was a 28% three point shooter. So those are clearly areas of his game that he needs to improve. Kenny, Yeah, I don't see why not. He's still a young player. And like I said, he's going to have more opportunity to do so. And I think more confidence.
0: Yeah. So let's look into the freshman and let's, uh, let's start with the newest one, I guess, technically the newest one, uh, Marcus Ilver signs his letter of intent, this week and uh, joins a joins three other guys in the class. He's a Ford six uh, eight guy that can shoot from three. I don't know if Wisconsin's had any of those kind of guys before, but um, he yeah he's a little bit of a late ad. Ran uh, actually uh, cross paths with Sam Decker during because uh, he's fr- originally from Estonia. Played this past year in Ohio. He's uh he, it's an interesting prospect.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know if he's going to be ready to contribute right away, but certainly it's a unique story and his dad played professionally and you know, he, he, re- he represented Estonia in some, in some like international competition. So I think he's going to bring a little more, maybe maturity to the game. I don't know, but uh, it's, they're stacking up these forwards. That's for sure. Or, or <laughs> small forwards, however you want to, you want to say that he is a six eight two hundred. 200, but I mean, I'm interested to see how he develops at Wisconsin. I mean, I, I, probably know more about the other three guys just because we've been tracking them for so much longer, but I think it's a, obviously a good ad for Wisconsin and they needed it because they need numbers and they need talent.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's get into those guys. Do you know a little bit more? The, uh, the other three members of that class, Chucky Hepburn out of Nebraska, you got Matthew Moores out of South Dakota, and then you have uh, Chris Hodges out of Illinois, a couple of forwards and then a point guard in Chucky. And you know, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of, there's, I shouldn't say there's a lot of hope. There is a lot of excitement, about Chucky, both on, I think on both ends of the court. I think he showed to be a solid defender, or could be a very good defender, and all offensively could be a weapon as well. When you see him, is he a guy that could walk in day one and and potentially be the starting point guard at Wisconsin? Maybe not. I shouldn't even say day one, but like game one. Yes, I think so. He's that type
1: of player. At least it appears to me that way. And it's just the it's just the ability that he has all over the place. I wrote a story about him back in the fall and was talking to his high school coach from Bellevue West. And he told me about a game from the state semifinal the year before this one. So it would have been Chucky's junior year. And it was a game where I guess it was a state championship game. Actually. He was one for 13 from the field and he scored eight points. And yet he took over the game late and helped his team storm back uh, to score the final 16 points and win the state championship. So this was a, this was after he scored 28 with 12 assists in the semifinals. So it was just, it was a moment to his high school coach that highlighted, like, even if he isn't shooting well, he finds every other way to impact the game. He made some key defensive stops. He dished out a bunch of assists. And I just think that's like the quintessential point guard that you need. Yeah, he can score, but he can also defend, get rebounds, get assists, and that's why he was the player of the year in Nebraska and and if you look at just what the opportunity is there there's not a lot of other options and Lauren Bowman will have to see what what he's like um since obviously he didn't play last season but yeah I think Chucky can come in and be an immediate impact player
0: what is going to be the biggest challenge to that outside of outside of just the inexperience of you know not having played college basketball before
1: well I almost think it would be it's almost easier to come into this situation and be a team leader when you've got a bunch of young guys. Like to me, it would have been harder if he came in last year and you had a bunch of seniors. Um, but there's just so much youth and inexperience that it's just a great opportunity. It's, it's the physicality of the big 10 and it's not hitting a freshman wall. Cause you go from playing however many games you play in high school to potentially close to 40 at the college level. And I know these guys play a lot in AAU, but the grind of a big 10 season is very real and very different from the wide open AAU game. So I, that that's one thing that I think any freshman has to adjust to.
0: No doubt. And we'll get to Lauren and we'll get to some of the other, I guess, freshmen from this past year, including Carlson and, and Crawl and, and their roles and just what that rotation is going to look like. But Matthew Moore's also coming in all these guys, uh, Moores, Hodges, and Chucky were all at one point, all four-star players. I think they all are coming in as three-star players. That doesn't mean that they have lost talent, obviously, <laughs> Uh, they're still the players that they were before, but obviously uh, ranked differently. But Ma- uh, Matthew Moore's—he comes in one of the most decorated players ever uh, out of South Dakota. What can we expect from him in in year one? Well,
1: I would joke that they became three-star players because they committed to Wisconsin, but maybe that's not fair if the how the recruiting rankings play out. With with Moore's, it's its versatility and its shooting ability and its scoring, and it's a, clearly going to be a step up from what he was doing in South Dakota this is somebody who's been really a varsity star since seventh grade because in that state you're allowed to play high school basketball starting then so that's why in part he's got a lot all the state records but he came off the bench and then he became a starter by eighth grade and was just like kicking people's butts as a 12 13 year old against 18 year old guys but it was very easy to Every time he would step across half court, basically teams would throw multiple defenders at him. So he had to find different ways to score. And I think that's going to be interesting to watch because that's not going to happen at the college level. So if he gets more opportunities to shoot threes. If he gets open more, can he take advantage of those? But he just showed creative ways to score. So if he, if he was double team, he'd figure out how to get in the block and score down low or make cuts. And, uh, you know, just another versatile forward prospect and uh, a key pickup for Wisconsin
0: playing that many years of varsity basketball, does that lead to you having any more experience in, in these type of situations? Or is it just because it's just such a huge jump from playing in South Dakota to coming to big 10 that, that really won't, you don't think that'll make an impact. I mean, it's, it's an extra two years of experience uh, playing against guys that are much older than you. I
1: think the difference is he's been the guy forever. So it's not, in some respects, maybe it's not as intimidating to come into a, a a big school like that, but it is a completely different situation. This and he averaged 24 and a half points a game as a high school freshman and he was scoring like 30 plus points in games as an eighth grader. So he's been a marked man forever up there. And I, I think maybe that that will help him at Wisconsin when it's not always going to be like that in games.
0: I feel like all the talk has been about Chucky and about Matthew Morris for a yeah. long time, but Chris Hodges certainly had his uh, moments in high school as well. Him coming in, what, what is Wisconsin getting with him?
1: Well, they're getting a hard worker. Who's a ridiculously high percentage shooter scoring in the post. His junior season, he shot 71% from the field. Um, you just do not see that very much at the high school level. And as a sophomore, he shot 66% from the field. So that's his forte. His high school coach told me he's got phenomenal touch and footwork. He worked a lot on being able to use both hands inside. So I think that's going to help him, but that's kind of where I would expect him to live. Um, But I know he's continued to expand his game and yeah, he's kind of of the first three guys that committed the least talked about. Um, But just the, the quintessential tweener, four man hard worker, who's going to make his mark. And if he gets in there, shoot it at a pretty high percentage.
0: All Right. So those are the, those are the freshmen. Now let's get into what we could potentially be looking at for a lineup. And, and specifically we, we, I think all the talk has been about the point guard spot, like who's going to replace Meach. What, what is up front going to look like with, with Crowell and Carlson and do they, do they start together? Does I mean what what is what in your mind does that starting five look like? Even though we know that it's really not that important what the starting five looks like, but wh- for you, what does it look like? Game one, whoever ends up being the opponent.
1: Well, the two obvious ones that we can start with are Brad Davison and Tyler Wall. So that makes it a little bit easier that we only have to pick three guys, I guess. Um, the question is, do you want to have? three guards on the court, or do you want to have three forwards on the court? And clearly with, with wall, with Crowell and Carlson, um, I mean, those, those are options, but you've got Johnny Davis. I I should have said Johnny Davis too. Obviously I (laughs) What an oversight, but I, I guess I meant the veteran guys. So it's really two people. Um, and if you've got Bowman or Hepburn as a starter and you've got Davison and Davis, that's your two and three. So then, Wall's the four, but Wall can also play the three. I mean, it's really between I think like six or seven guys for the the starting spot. So, since you're putting me on the spot, I'll go Hepburn, Davis, and Davis, Wall, and I don't know Carlson or Crowell. I guess it just depends on what the need is.
0: Do you think they'll go? Do you think they'll go game by game? I know obviously they did this year, but. I think that was more of a uh, uh, thing trying to get both those guys on <laughs> jump started, whether it was Nate or whether it was Micah. But you know, I uh, look. I think that down low where they, they struggled mightily at times down low. And we and here's the other thing you talked about Joe Hedstrom and uh, mentioning that they were after Biggs. I think there's going to be another name thrown in here. Yeah. And so it's very likely. Uh, I should say it's probably likely that that fifth guy may not even be here yet. Yeah. and you know what? I
1: didn't even mention, uh, Neith, like, right. Jacoby Neith. So it's, just, this is a hard one. So maybe, maybe Neith is the guy who comes in and is the point, <laughs> um, which is why they, they brought him in. So there's like a lot to figure out and wrap my head around right now. So maybe I shouldn't like automatically pencil in a freshman who hasn't played. Um, if it's between them and a veteran who's been at wake forest, uh, you know, I, I think it's neat. And it's interesting because, like, Carlson and Wall are sort of the same position uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So,
0: hey, I mean, you think so? One,
1: one could be the three, one could be the four, assuming you've got a, a bigger guy in there. But it's a lot to figure out.
0: Yeah, like, I, I don't know if – I feel like Carlson's either a four or five. I don't know if he can play the three. I, I don't think he can guard the three. So, that that'd be a little bit tough. Again, uh, here, I mean, the very interesting things are like the, the two highest rated guys in that class last year were Carlson and Bowman, and we've seen very little of either one. And obviously we haven't seen a ton of Crowell either. But the, the fact that we have not – that um, I shouldn't say the highest, highest recruited of them. Carlson was the highest recruited, but then obviously Bowman and, and Davis were, were kind of about on the same level. We saw a ton of Johnny Davis, but we didn't get to see a ton of uh, Carlson, and we didn't get to see any of Bowman. After not playing basketball for for so long, uh, speaking of Bowman, what can we expect of him? I mean, uh, he's going to come in and he's expected to come in in June and rejoin the team. What, if anything, can we take from him being off for so long and then potentially coming back and being thrown right back into the mix here? You know, and having that summer, having the summer conditioning is going to be huge for him, but I, I just don't know what to expect there.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say is, is that summer is going to be really important because it's an opportunity to get back into shape and game shape and acclimate to Wisconsin basketball. I expect him to be the player that we thought he was going to be coming out of high school. Um, does a lot, a little bit of everything. You know, he averaged 25 points a game, six assists, six rebounds as a senior and was the Detroit player of the year for a team that, uh, you know, was contending for a state title before the this district championship game got canceled because of covid so i really think he's i mean he's a three level scorer that's how he's been described that he can he can get to the rim he can pull up for mid-range shots and, and he can hit three pointers too and, and he distributes he's everything you want a point guard so that's the player i expect him to be i just don't know how long it's going to take for him to get back to full speed
0: and i guess i shouldn't say it hasn't been playing basketball he has based on his social media he has been been working for sure it's just not here, right? Like not in Madison. So that that's going to be interesting to see. And can crawl think of the guys that Crowl's going to have to face next year, Zach Eady, Hunter Dickinson, some, I mean, some of these other bigs that are still going to be around the big 10. Like he needs to probably, uh, it needs to be a good year, a good summer for him though, too, right? Like a, a huge summer in the weight room for him.
1: With, with Crowl for sure. Um, every night is a battle. As we saw, even when they had seniors like Reavers and, and Potter, you saw, you know, Michigan was able to do like they just dominated on the offensive glass. And so it's going to be a big off season for him. And, and he's going to, you would think, play a bigger role. I don't know exactly what that looks like. And, you know, we just don't, it's like trying to put the pieces to this puzzle together, but we're missing a piece with this transfer portal, presumably with a big guy. So it's just hard to know exactly what his role is going to be, but it's going to be a bigger one.
0: It will be. And with Carlson worked his way back from injury, got to see him, I guess he got in against North Carolina for a minute or two. There at the end, he looked so good to start the year, right? Like the, like we kind of thought that he was going to have a, not a significant role, but a pretty big role off the bench. And it, it got trimmed down as uh, you know, the non-conference games went on. And I just don't know how much of that was the injury, right? Like, I don't know how much of like his regression there towards the, towards the end of the non-conference before they got him, before they shut him down in the middle of December was the injury, but the early signs of it were really, really good. I remember we talked about it. He looked, he did not look like a freshman and Greg Gard talked about it.
1: Yeah. He played that season opener against Eastern Illinois. He played 17 minutes and he scored 13 points. So talk about efficiency and the next few games, 16, 16 minutes. And then it went down and he, and obviously he didn't play for most of the rest of the season. Other than, as you said, one minute against North Carolina, but lots of potential. Um, I think there's a reason he was the, the highest rated guy in the class. And um, I mean, it, I, Certainly could start this year, but if he doesn't, he's going to be one of the first off the bench, and I imagine playing 20-plus minutes.
0: Uh, some of the other young guys that are, that are still there, uh, Carter Gomer got a scholarship. Uh, the the walk-on from, from Arrowhead got a scholarship. Does he play this year? Uh, what, what kind of, if any, role does he have, or is it very similar? I mean, he got in against, what was that, the Northwestern game that they, that they threw him in the mix there? But I don't know, is there minutes available in his role?
1: Yeah, I don't know how many minutes there are available. I mean, he's, he's a forward. So like I said, you've got Carlson and Wall, and I don't know what Matthew Moore's progress will be. But there's opportunity there. He's an extremely versatile player. He, you know, he could get you a triple-double in high school, and he was playing at a pretty high level in this state. Um, he scored a crazy amount of points, you know, is he said, he set the arrowhead school record for scoring. And as a senior averaged 27 points a game and 11 rebounds. So mostly out of high school though, he was a mid-major recruit. I mean, if you look at the scholarship opportunities he got, it was all basically all mid-majors and App State, DePaul, UIC, Indiana State, Missouri State, Milwaukee, Southern Illinois. So I don't know. I am I think he could, but it might take more
0: time. All the uh, big DePaul fans that listen to this are probably very insulted by that, uh, <laughs> in, including them in with the mid majors. But eh. it's it sounds about right.
1: Yeah. Um, Sorry yeah. if I offended you.
0: <laughs> and then there's uh, Jordan Davis.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's going to be tough, but there's so much wide open opportunity. I mean, he's good defender, but. Didn't didn't really play very much last season. We mostly saw him on the bench when they were talking about that. Hey, Johnny Davis has another brother. (laughs) So um, I don't know what his role is going to be.
0: Being mistaken as Johnny. Maybe. Which happened once or twice, I believe with uh, with the TV crews. I don't know. I think he's 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 athletic and I think he can be a good defender. He worked his butt off, you know, at least in the games that the post games that I was at the Cole center, he was always one of the guys that came back out and shot, uh, by himself. So it's not like he's not putting in the work, but you're right. It, it's, it's, you know, you just don't know, uh, guys can take big leaps, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see if he's able to take any, uh, I guess a significant leap up and, and potentially, uh, challenge for time. But, but the thing there, is Brad's going to play
1: 30 plus minutes. The Brad's going to play 30 plus minutes a game. Um, and that's not going to leave you know much time, and and Johnny Davis is going to be on the court a ton, so I just don't know how much opportunity there's going to be, but there could be some.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, before I let you go, Jesse, I wanted to ask you. There's some there's some rules being proposed here by the NCAA, and and we'll see if any of them get passed. But I there were a couple that just seemed ridiculous to me, and um, we'll start with th- this one: ejecting a player at six fouls instead of five. But there are some there there are some modifications that can make it five or four.
1: This is the stupidest rule I've heard in a long time. It doesn't even make sense. It should not be this complicated. But one of the modifications is that a player that has more than three fouls in one half, first or second, would be disqualified. So I guess, hypothetically, if a coach decided to keep playing his player and he committed four fouls and a half, he'd be disqualified, which, like, let's say you had no fouls in the first half and then four in the second half you, I think would be disqualified or or five in the second half. I don't even understand it. And the fact that like it's hard to wrap my head around makes this tremendously stupid. It's been five fouls for a long time, 5,040 minutes, 6,048 in the NBA. It's just much easier that way. I don't think it's necessary to have all these ridiculous stipulations.
0: I agree. All right. So another one of is award possession of the ball to the defense when they create a hell ball situation. Right now, it is whoever has the possession arrow. I think they're
1: both dumb because I would prefer a straight up jump ball, but it's probably better than the situation we have now, um, where it's just alternating possession. I kind of like the idea of the defense being rewarded for creating a jump ball, but I like the NBA where the the two guys
0: involved get to actually jump it up. Maybe they um, don't trust the college officials. That's I think that's probably. Do you trust Boborowski? I don't. Um, <laughs> limit limit the number of timeouts that may be called by any one team in the last two minutes of the second period or of overtime to two.
1: Well, as a viewer, I'm all for this because I'm tired of the last two minutes of a game lasting 25 minutes. Um, but. I feel like that sort of puts teams at a, a, a disadvantage where, I mean, it's part of the strategy. If you save enough timeouts, then you have them for the end of the game is you. That's usually when you use them all. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I could take or leave that one just like as a basketball. I don't know as a viewer. I mean, I guess I'm let's speed it
0: up. <laughs> permit the use of instant replay at all basket interference and goaltending calls throughout the game, but only when a call has been made by an official. Okay. I guess I'm fine with that. I'm I'm, anything that brings more instant replay into it. I'm not fine
1: with, I know. I just said, I don't want to see the last part of the game last 20 minutes, but I also like it when the calls are correct. So, you know, it's a trade-off in the 21st century here.
0: Uh, Permit a team to decline free throws in the last two minutes of the last period or any overtime period and elect possession of the ball for a throw-in instead. No. You would eliminate comebacks. I don't know.
1: I've just you would. It's just too many rules changes, man. It's, I'm I'm old school. I only grew
0: up one way. There's free throws, which also lo- is
1: an eyesore to watch. But
0: then you'll part love of the this game. One. Yeah, then you'll love this one. This final one we'll throw at you. Adjust the traveling rule to allow a player to take two steps after living, lifting his pivot foot, which would make moves such as the spin move, uh Euro step, and the step back shot legal.
1: It's going to look like an NBA game. You might as well be <laughs> James Harden and take like three steps every time, which works for him, obviously. He's a great player. I'm not all about that rule, I suppose. Um, maybe they can go with the – uh the basketball tournament rule, where when it's a close game, they just decide how many points each team needs to score to win. Um, I mean, why even why even play the game the way it's been played for all these years?
0: It's called the ELM ending, as we are saying? Yeah, why not? All right. I-, I lied. One more thing before I let you go for the season, for the summer. Of course, we're still doing football, so make sure to check in on that. We've got uh, plenty of camps coming up throughout camp nice episodes. Yeah. It's middle of April. We are eleven months away from Selection Sunday. <laughs> Is next year's Wisconsin team making the tournament?
1: Oh man, do I know enough about the Big Ten to say whether they'll be any good against the other teams? No. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say no. So
0: <laughs>
1: I, I think something. there's enough. I think there's enough pieces there to to slide up in there. <laughs> like it, like into the DMs.
0: Oh, uh, we shall
1: see. I want your take, though. I answer all these questions. I want to know whether you think they're an NCAA tournament team right
0: now. Well, everybody wants to hear your point of view. They don't really care about mine. I no, they want no. yours. I, I will. I will say they just want me to shut up and to let you talk. No. Um, the uh, I'm going to say Wisconsin uh, does not. I think they're right. I think they're on the bubble, and I yeah. think that th- I, think I like they that fall take. Short. I think they fall short. But we'll see. It's going to be fun. A whole lot of new faces. I think, you know, as exciting as I think a lot of people were for this year, having all those guys back, you know, you're expecting a really good team. Obviously, it did not happen. But all these new faces, uh, outside of a few, should be exciting uh, pretty much all of next year. Agreed?
1: I'm looking forward to it. It'll be. It'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. This is... Rebuilding may not exactly be the right word. I don't know what other word you want to use, but Greg Gard is is going to have his work cut out for him as a coach to, to mesh this group together with so many guys that haven't uh, played very much, if at all, at the college level.
0: Yeah, should be good. Thank you very much, Jesse. All season, appreciate it. Thanks, Zach, and thank you to everyone
1: for listening throughout this season. Look forward to talking again next season.
0: All right, there he is, Jesse Temple. Until next time, you've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.